before we go any further, a quick announcement, and we thought we would tell you, the listeners of the podcast, all about it first. A blog to watch is hiring. We are looking for a social media manager to look after all the Instagram, Facebook, comment section, the website, all the social media stuff that you can think of. So if you're interested, get your CV together and any relevant experience and email the boss man himself, Ariel, at ablogtowatch.com. We really look forward to hearing from you. So with that done, it's back to the show. Hey everyone, Ariel Adams here, once again joined by Rick as we continue our coverage now in episode four of Dubai Watch Week 2021. I was there in November of 2021 and I conducted a series of interviews while being at the show. Let's take it away. Who's the first person in this episode? So it's a classy episode this week. We've got Grubel Forsey, Jacob and Co, Louis Money, Bovey, all sorts of really classy. But just to give the whole show balance and perspective, we're starting off with Adam from Red Bar. Sure, I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you will. Sure you will. Almost the end of Dubai Watch Week, and I am with media colleague and friend, Adam Craniotis. Adam, how are you? I'm doing fine, how are you doing? I'm doing great. My first question is, I know you have a bunch of Red Bar chapters all over the world. Is there one here in Dubai? Actually, there isn't, and that will be changing fairly soon. Now, Red Bar is an interesting phenomenon in the sort of watch uh, enthusiast community, where it is a very established form of gatherings and things like that. Um, which has been obviously something very popular in this part of the world where watch enthusiasts have been getting together. What have you potentially learned about the sort of watch collector community and getting together from some of the habits that happen here in Dubai and in the region? Um, well, I think the first thing I learned is that uh, the Emiratis are just like you and I. Um, you know, if there's something fun and there's something uh, that could potentially lead to a good time, then they want a part of that. And there have already been a couple of clubs out here, and uh, the Dubai Watch Club is uh, the one that springs to mind, and I've got a lot of good friends who are part of that too. And, you know, it's, it's just uh, it's a common thread, I think. The last two years, obviously both of us have not been able to travel like we used to, and, you know, we probably learned how important community was. Was there a particular point during the pandemic where you realized, like, this just isn't an industry that works unless there's you know, in-person events? I really thought I was going to have that realization at some point. And certainly uh, once the reality of the situation sank in and I was quarantining with my family uh, and realizing that, no, this is happening. We're not going out. We're not getting together. Um, I thought, wow, you know, what does this mean for Red Bar and, and what does it mean for the community at large? Um, you know, Red Bar is certainly not the only game in town when it comes to this sort of thing. And what I found is, if anything, um, it strengthened the community and that uh, all of our different chapters started uh, getting together on Zoom, doing uh, Instagram Lives. Um, and people were just checking up on each other. And you realize that the community we put together here um, it's not just watches. You know, watches are what brought us together, but why we continue to do it are the relationships. Um, and so it, it was honestly a very gratifying experience and in a very strange way. I certainly didn't expect that. A lot of brands for years have, of course, had have tried to do events and done many events with collectors and things like that, yet without sort of, um, I guess you call it the icebreaker or the, the, the cohesive factor, like so much as yourself as me, those events don't really work the same way. Explain, in your opinion, why having sort of a host or a more formal community 
is so important rather than just having a, a, a loosely collected association of people looking at watches? Well, I think there's safety in numbers, first of all. Uh, part of the beauty of Red Bar is, you know, even without a, a sponsored event, is that you're in an environment where everybody's kind of equal, everyone's at the same level, and when the watches are out on the table, you know that you're welcome to try them on. You, no one's expecting anything more of you than to simply enjoy this. And a lot of people, I think, were hesitant or intimidated by the boutique experience. Um, and so now if you're throwing an event as a boutique or a brand or what have you, I think there's still a sense that, you know, I'm here for a reason and I'm gonna have to perform, or I'm gonna, whether that means buy a watch or act a certain way or what have you. So when you have a third party come in, um, like Red Bar, you know, we still always insist that the vibe is the same. You know, we were asked once years ago uh, by a brand, well, how many watches can you guarantee that we'll sell? And my answer was none. I guarantee that we will sell no watches. Uh, if somebody is, is moved to do so, then certainly that's something you can pursue, but that's not why we do this. You know, we have to take that level out of it. And I think when people are comfortable, that's when their guard comes down and against their better judgment, maybe then they're gonna buy a watch. No, I agree with you that comfort is a big part of it. And something that I noticed that was very interesting um, with the local Emiratis and everyone else who's here in Dubai is there is a comfort in asking someone, hey, I like what's on your wrist. What is it? Can I see it? And I feel that that behavior happens a lot less often in the United States. <laughs> Did you also notice that there's sort of um, a, a level of, of comfort and relaxation that we may not enjoy back home? I definitely feel that way. And you know, when I'm asked about Dubai, uh, the first thing that I tell people is, is what overwhelms you is the hospitality. Um, it's ingrained into the culture. Everybody wants to help, wants to make sure you're happy. And if part of that is checking out the watch on their wrist, they're only too happy to do so. And also, I hate to say it, but there's a, the safety factor. I'm not worried about somebody grabbing my watch here like I would be on the streets of New York City or London or Paris or any of these other cities. So I think that's also a big part of it. The Siddiqui family who organizes Dubai Watch Week um, are, are very well known as being watch lovers. What do you feel that they're doing correctly in establishing watch culture here? Is it because they themselves are openly into watches or is there anything that they're doing which has helped uh, facilitate this type of behavior that we're talking about? You nailed it. Um, they love watches, period. And you can tell uh, that that's something that they, they, they really feel strongly about. It's not just selling widgets. You know, I always joke that, you know, the most successful executives and the ones that I get along with in this industry are the ones that you can tell love watches and they are markedly different from the ones who have their business school degrees and have just simply learned how to sell a concept. And they really don't care if they're selling watches or if they're selling handbags or, or anything. And the Siddiqui family, you can tell that they want to sell watches, they want to be around watches, and even this show, it's not a hard sell. You're just welcome to come and look and examine and, and have a really wonderful time. They're not pushing anything on you beyond the fact that we love watches, we want you to love them too. Totally agree. A lot of people around the show, especially industry people, have made the statement that this is the best watch show in the world, this is even the most important watch <laughs> show in the world. And this is in a context where what a watch show is and what it's supposed to do for the industry is, is of course evolving. What are your opinions on the importance of Dubai Watch Week and how do you feel it should influence similar gatherings in other places? 
you know, first off, I, it's hard for me to say, you know, what's the most important, what's the best, you know, the context is, is always, um, you know, key there. For me, I think the, the biggest part of this is just to see everyone and whether it's to see you, whether it's to see our fellow journalists, whether it's to see uh, the executives, the, the watchmakers, the designers, you know, everybody comes here. And it was described to me actually as sort of Davos for watches. And I think that's, in that context, it is the most important show. Um, I think everyone who's supposed to be here is here. And also, again, that hospitality pervades it. Everyone is just loose, they want to talk, um, they want to get together, they want to you know, make plans for the future, but also just you know, live in the moment. Uh, and it's a very different feeling from Basel World, which of course is no longer, or SIHH, now Watches and Wonders. Um, I think when you're there, it, it's definitely more business-like atmosphere, whereas here, it's still, you feel like we're a big family. And that, I think, makes it very important and also makes it very unique. Walking through the expo hall, you see lots of watches that are more or less unavailable anywhere else. A very strong population of what they call independent brands, mm -hmm. very exclusive timepieces and exclusive personalities. What are some of the things that you learned that you may have never been on your radar before, but are now interesting to you and you're wrapping your mind around and getting you excited about something that you weren't previously excited about? Well, I have to say, uh, this is the first time that I've been able to uh, handle one of uh, Constantin, how do I even pronounce it, Chaikin? Constantin Chaikin. Chaikin, okay, so I got that right. Um, uh, one of his watches and to meet him, and that, you know, is huge for me. Uh, I think he's probably one of the most original, interesting watch designers out there, and the fact that he's not from Switzerland, he's not, you know, that he's from Russia and he's doing his own thing with his own aesthetic, um, for me that, something I wouldn't have been able to do elsewhere. Um, otherwise, you know, I know everybody here, I know the brands, I think that it's just being able to get hands-on, you know, that, and there certainly are a lot of these independents in a, at a very high level. Uh, and look, and that's also, I think, a function of where we are. There is money here, you know, there's an audience here that maybe you're not gonna find in uh, Des Moines, Iowa. So uh, it does give me an opportunity as somewhat of a more um, down-to-earth collector to kind of get hands-on with the dream pieces. Coming here to Dubai Watch Week 2021, of course, you never know what you're gonna see, and you never know who you're gonna meet, but what were some of your personal goals coming into it, and have you achieved those goals? Honestly, my, my one goal was to see my friends. <laughs> Uh, and that's maybe a selfish goal, you know, and Ariel, we've seen each other several times already. Uh, I think within the, the domestic media circuit, you know, we've kind of been doing it, you know, and I've been to California several times and wherever, but this was the first time, and I forgot, honestly, just how much I miss the wider community that we're a part of. And I think as I ran into Christine Hooter from Maurice Grossman, we talked for a bit, she goes, it's been three years. And, you know, and then it kind of just hit me, wow, it has been three years, you know, and, and then when I start seeing everybody else and we run into Fabrizio uh, Bonamassa from, from Bulgari, Max Busser, you know, all these people who I've known for a long time um, and just to see them again and everyone's happy and we're out and about, it, it feels like home. Time certainly flies. Adam Craniotis from Red Bar here at Dubai Watch Week 2021. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Interesting interview, in fact, you managed to do a whole interview with Adam. I don't think he swore once, but, you know, 
every silver lining has a cloud. What do you notice about watch collecting culture around the world? You have travelled to many of the places where there will be a Red Bar chapter. Yep. How yep. do they all differ from in your experience? Are they very different culturally? Absolutely. Look, I think that one of the most important parts of modern watch collecting is friendship. Being able to enjoy the hobby with other like-minded people and ideally form friendships with those people. Watches while serving as a status symbol or reward for some people are just access to groups of friends. Whereas some people might be really into sports or some other hobbies like that. You have people that are into watches and they want to meet other people that like watches and talk about watches and say, oh, if you like watches, what else are you into? And so a place like Red Bar is a great opportunity just to hang out with watch buddies. And one of the things that has made Red Bar important is rather than having a loosely associated group of individuals, Red Bar has sort of Adam as a leader. And of course, he can't be everywhere all the time, but he sets an example. And that is a, a very personable, charismatic, fun, friendly. He's not afraid to laugh at himself. He very much represents the opposite of what a lot of the, you know, pretentious, snobby, overly concerned with their self-image, you know, set of watch media personalities that sometimes people can think about at events, especially in New York, where Adam lives and started a Red Bar. So he was trying to be like the anti-snob group. And it turned out that his anti-snob group was so personable that other people, you know, started coming and wanted to join and it became a little bit of a business. And so all the different Red Bars around the world differ because they don't have Adam, but ideally they're set by the example where you should be, you know, cool and friendly and welcoming and, you know, don't take yourself too seriously. And Adam is very explicit in that these are his rules and these are the ways that he thinks these these can be best and this is how everyone can get along and enjoy the hobby. So I think that the, the sort of rules and structure around the grouping of people and going to these events around watches is the innovation that he created that was needed because... I think that watch collectors, when placed into a room without a sense of structure or authority, there's just too many egos going on. And so where one person innovates, other people eventually try to copy and follow. So where do you think Red Bar goes in the future? And are there other organizations trying to do the same sort of thing? Do you see any anybody else trying to come along and tweak what Red Bar are doing on a global level or is there really only room for one player of the scale in which Red Bar are operating now? Well, I think there's two questions there. A, do the economics exist for there to be events such that there's more players in the space? Meaning, are there people paying for events? Can you make money at the events? Can you charge people to go to events? I know that it's quite challenging to make money from events. Events themselves cost a lot of money. Things like food and drink and, and spaces are expensive. And so having done a lot of events myself, I can say it's not exactly the easiest business model. And it really depends on watch brands or retailers or someone to to pay for it all at this time. So that can be a tall ask. In some cities, it makes more sense than others. But the cities that have the most people that buy watches also tend to be the cities that are the most expensive to do events. So that is definitely one challenge. And right now, I still see the economics being on the side of a small number of entities in the space, not a lot. The second is... Could you replicate what 
they do just by looking at them and trying to copy it. And I'm not so sure. You know, there's something to be said about culture, something to be said about the personality of the leader, the reason that people are attracted to it. Is it just because they get to see watches? So if you take the personality out of it you ha- and you, ma- you keep the watches, is that enough? Uh, would they go just for the personalities and they don't need to see the watches as much? What's the right balance between the two? I think there's sort of, again, an art versus a science to this. I think as long as there's enthusiasm for watches in some way for people to connect, they, they will, but I don't always know what form that will take. Yeah, it's interesting to see how obviously things have slowed down a bit with the pandemic and all the rest of it, but it'll be interesting to see to what extent everything takes off and there's a kind of pent-up demand just for people getting together uh, in rooms talking about watches. So that was Adam from Red Bar. We're now going to step up to some major players in the highest of high ends of watch manufacture and we're going to start off with an organization that released a new watch so tell us who we're going to hear from from Grubel Forzi. So we're going to be speaking to their relatively new CEO Mr. Antonio Calce who I have known at other positions he's been at such as Quorum and Gerard Perigo. Grubel Forzi never had a CEO until him at least not in this capacity and had a now they have a public CEO and he mentioned some interesting things during the interview that we'll, that we'll talk about. But he is now there running probably one of the world's top from a price point brands. Their price points are now somewhat lower starting in the you know $200,000 range or something like that. But this is a company that you can buy a $500,000, $800,000, million dollar watch from. That wouldn't be very difficult to do. And that's sort of the, the echelon of product that we're talking about. So here we go. Antonio Calce, Chief Executive Officer and Executive Board Member at Grubel Force Dubai Watch Week 21. Antonio, thank you so much for speaking to me. We're here in the exhibit hall right now and there's a lot of clients and colleagues customers. How does it feel to finally back, be back at a watch community event? You know, I think um, Dubai, it's really the, the place to be for the watch industry, you know. And um, we, were, we are already all happy, finally, to see each other again. You know, it was terrible with two, now since two years, very difficult uh, for us, for all the watch industry. And this fair in Dubai here, uh, for us, it's first of all, it's it's a real milestone. It's a new chapter for Global Force because um, we open new doors with a new product offer uh, called Balancier Square, and uh, Dubai was the perfect place to launch this new product. Uh, this is why very happy, and uh, finally, uh, for us also, Dubai very important because. Um, we have an incredible partner here uh, and we want really to capitalize on, on uh, uh, Dubai as a flagship for uh, the region, you know, uh, that's it. Um, a lot of projects here and uh, and very, very happy since now a few days. Grubel Force is one of the world's most respected high-end watch brands and you are fresh into the brand as being the CEO. Talk a little bit about how you, how you achieved this position. You know, I started 17 months ago and um, 
Robert Grubel is a major shareholder and is really the brain behind the brand. Uh, and Robert and I, we are really very, very close. And uh, when I had a call from him, he asked me, Antonio, we have to think about the future of Grubel Forza. And it was very interesting. We, we shared a lot of things for the future of, the brand, of this brand. And now my job is really to secure the brand for the future. And, uh, and you know, the idea, uh, you're right, the, the level of finishing, the quality, the, uh, it's just incredible what, what, what we did in the past and what we, we are doing with, in terms of finishing. But it's also important to have a vision, to have a strategy based on this incredible idea. We have to do something with, with this incredible asset. And it's, this is what, what, what I really started to do, is to, to, to define uh, the, the, the next milestone in terms of maturity, and not only in terms of product, but also in terms of um, communication, in terms of distribution. Uh, it's really a 360 approach because, like you said, we are more than 120 people. And I have to take care about the, the, the yes, the future of the brand, and and to put the brand in in, in the vision. Not only think, not only to think about creativity, and and the incredible product, but also to yes, to define a strategy for the future uh, of this incredible brand. Now on your wrist right now is a very special watch. It's a, it's a sportier watch in titanium with the bracelet. Of course, it has all the Grubel Force DNA in the movement. But it's a very different product than what most people who are familiar with the brand associate with the brand. Talk about how these types of sport watches and things like it will help define the future of Grubel Force. You know, I would say the sport. It's of course the first version. Uh, is a sport version, but now the way what what we want really to take to want to take is really in this new product offer. We had three goals. The first one is to play with in a new price segment between two hundred thousand to three hundred thousand. The second goal uh, was really to offer um, more aesthetics, more modernity, more design. You know. And the, and the third goal was to create strong identity, a real recognizable watch with a special case, with a wave, you know. And um, and this this product I, ha I have on my wrist is exactly uh, exactly the example. Uh, we want really now to enlarge uh, our consumer base, not to be only dedicated to collectors. Uh, because of course we will always take care about the collectors because it's really that uh, we started with this 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 kind of product or only dedicated to collectors but now what is important too is also to open a little bit the doors and to propose something yes more fresh more cool with a lot of design a lot of aesthetics uh, titanium other percent titanium really light light and again um, in a different price segment also because uh, our, our price positioning before was very, very high. And now with those two pillars, one dedicated to collectors and the other one uh, more um, also, of, of also for a little bit different price profile of end consumer, it's a, it's a very nice balance uh, for us because again, at the end, uh, we have a big organization and we have to put a strategy to maintain and to support uh, our big investment. 
I understand that the brand has some very ambitious goals for the next several years, and nobody really understands a Google Forest Day without an education. What are some of your strategies that you hope will work over the next few years to educate more people about what goes into a Google Forest Day product and why it's worth as much as it is? It's a very, it's very difficult. You know, I, I am in the watch industry since 25 years now, and um, uh, with very, very, uh, oh yeah, uh, very humble. I, I know watches. I know the, all the, a lot of competitors. I had the long experience uh, in many, in few brands, and uh, and all, always in the high-end uh, uh, watch industry. And but I guarantee you, when I started 18 months ago, you you, you have to see. It's only when I started in the company, I realized what's, what, what we do. What, it's incredible. We have to be, you have to be really inside to realize it's incredible. Even you know the watch industry, even you have a, a long experience. What, what we have in this company is just, it's just, it's very difficult to, to explain. Uh, and this is why it's a big challenge in terms of communication, you know, because uh, I, I give you an example, handmade, for example. Uh, how do we explain the difference between between unmade and unfinishing? We do a product 98% unmade, made by hand with conventional machine. It's just incredible. Um, but it's a big challenge. But uh, you know, at the end of the day, what is important also for us is to not only um, not only to, to focus on on really the all the skills and know-how. We, have, we, we need also to, uh, now the, 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 the customers need also dreams. We have, they need dreams. And we have some idea what's the best way to explain uh, um, for sale. But not, not only, you know, I think it's not necessary only to focus on, on, on uh, finishing details, uh, to show the details of the movement. I think uh, we have to, to find a smart way to explain um, how Global Force is, is uh, different and, and, and incredible. It's an interesting challenge. Here at Dubai Watch Week 2021, you are not only representing the brand, but you're an observer. You're seeing the things around you. You're listening to the feedback from the market and consumers. What are some of the things that you've learned while being here? You know, first of all, it's very interesting because uh, we talk directly with end consumer, with our collectors. And you know it's very, very exciting and very interesting because you, you don't talk only with partners and with retailers, but also with end consumer. And this is really great, you know. And uh, of course, today the, the, the first feedback that I received since a few days now is, is really the, the move of the brand. The, the people feel that the brand now will reach definitely a new step in terms of maturity, uh, especially with the, this new product offer in this new. Uh, in our second pillar, you know, uh, not only dedicated, not only to, to, to remain niche, 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 but also to open new doors. And um, yes, you know, uh, we need also to increase our quantities, you know, because I have, you, you, you asked me what I, what I learned. I have just before you came uh, um, a meeting with an incredible collector. And you are, it's funny because he told me, Antonio, why? Your quantity is too small, really, but it's good for you. Because as a collector, uh, it's a very exclusive. It's yes, but it will be good if I see a little bit more global for sale on wrist on different 
peoples, you know, you know what I mean? And this is why, and it was very interesting, but normally the collectors say, don't produce too, too much, don't produce, please remain confidential. And I, the, the opposite uh, direction it was the opposite, because I think we were really, really too much, maybe too much exclusive. We talk about 100 pieces per year. Now the goal is really to increase at 200 in 2022, 300 in 23, and to reach at the at the end 500 uh, timepieces per year. You know, it's a very exclusive, but it's 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 uh, it's good for you. It's um, it's a very nice evolution. So and visibility now, is very very important. Visibility is very important, and uh, I think 500 uh, timepieces per year. Uh, we remain very, very exclusive, but uh, yeah, very happy. Antonio Calce from Grubel Force, thank you very much. Thank you very much. So we heard from Antonio. I did very much like him saying that they were going to try and pitch their watches at a new two hundred to $300,000 range to... You know, the, the ambition to just sell $200,000 watches rather than a million dollars. I know, watches. after that, after that, there's, you know, it's you're giving them yeah, away. You're just giving them away any lower than that. Just put them on a table and vent, vent, vent them on the street. Point. So, Grubel Force <laughs> actually, well, I've got a couple of questions about Grubel Force actually. Why are they so good? What is it about them that has allowed them to become what's widely perceived as being the absolute pinnacle of pinnacles in terms of tech and finishing well that's a good question i'll start with finishing their finishing is immaculate and let me explain what i mean when you look at the surfaces under magnification there's no errors finishes are more or less perfect angles are more or less perfect i'm not saying you're not going to identify an organic or human touch but it's about as close to perfect as any serially produced product is and that just means they use the best techniques take the most amount of time and have the most finickiness no 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 that polish isn't flat enough no 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 that curve isn't you know angled enough that flat surface isn't straight enough there's yeah. you know that's essentially what you're talking about and one little component can take hours and hours to finish and that's a big deal the second side of your statement has to do with technology and i wouldn't call it a high technology company but what they tried to do is make as durable and accurate a watch as possible so they didn't just want to make something that looked fancy but they wanted to be a good piece of timekeeping uh, equipment you know, it would it would keep time in a relatively stable way, and if you knocked the watch around a little bit, it would still work pretty well, and it wouldn't you know have to be too fragile. And so those are you know, if you could say the ma the major goals of the designer and watchmaker, really what they're aiming for. And so they had a new watch being released. Was it actually released at Dubai Watch Week? It certainly appeared. Yeah, it's a yeah yeah. So did you like it? Sure. I mean, look, I'm not the target demographic for a watch that costs, you know, $200,000 and up. I can wear it. I can admire it. I can like it. It's a handsome watch. It's it's cool. It's titanium. It's got a bracelet or a strap option. You know, it's very sporty. It's basically like if Grubel Force was to make a Richard Mille, what would it look like? They really didn't have what you would call a sporty, futuristic model until, until that one. Most of the watches have been quite classic, eccentric looking, but classic for sure. 
and modern sport watches are what's what's trending. And so if they want to be more hip, which is something that every watch brand, big or small, wants to be, they're going to try to make something more trendy. Does feel to me like Grubel Forsey are about to take it to Richard Mille. It does feel like in the back office there, they have decided, wait a minute, we can do this and we can do it better and we can do it competitively and, you know, we can just do it with bells and whistles on. It feels like they are saying, well, wait a minute, we're Rolls Royce to Richard Mule's Bentley. You can get a Bentley, it's a beautiful car, it's a lovely car, but it's just not a Rolls Royce. So it just does feel that in that sports model, they're really, as you said, they're, yeah. I'm just waiting for them to announce their Formula One team sponsorship and then that'll be the <laughs> the absolute sign that that's where they're going. That it, look, it might go that direction. No doubt there is a market success that Richard Mille has that is enviable. Yeah. And Grubel Force says to themselves, wait a minute, <laughs> we charge that much for a watch. Yeah. We could... We could be sold out all day long too. And don't get me wrong, it's not that easy to get a Grubel Force, but you know, right now, for a variety of reasons, if you are a top of the top, you know, earner, Richard Meal is the watch to yeah. wear. And it's a show off item amongst very, very wealthy people. It's not about can you afford the Richard Mill? They're way past that. It's did you get that one? Oh, they sold you one, they wouldn't sell me one. What'd you do different? So it's sort of how you flex in front of other people that long ago lost interest in flexing to most people because it's just too easy for them. <laughs> yeah. Can can Grubel Force capture that same type of market attention? To do that, they would first need to install the message to consumers that our product says that you are wealthy, our product says that you are trendy and that you have special connections and that you're a VIP. Our product says that you're, you know, hip and into modern things. Richard Mill did that the the hard way. It wasn't an overnight success for them by any means. It's not that they're that much older of a brand or anything like that than Grubel Force, but Richard Mille adopted celebrity marketing quite early on and did some very clever things that they wouldn't necessarily be able to replicate today of putting watches on the wrists of active athletes and professionals like Rafael Nadal and, you know, various types of race car drivers and golfers and basically said, go play your sport with them and, you know, if they break, okay, maybe that's just a marketing expense. But that was a very clever thing. I don't know that Grubel Force can do that or is willing to do that. So they might have high aspirations, but it's ultimately unclear what they're going to do. I, I think probably the best marketing advice I would give to them is that in the same way that Richard Mille put watches on sports personalities, I think the future is probably putting watches onto podcasters' wrists. So if Grubel Force would like to get in touch, I'm sure myself and Arrow will gladly show for them for the foreseeable future. Rick will shill for for Grubel Force. Be that known yeah, now. You can put that I'll put that in my biography. <laughs> right. Yeah. So we're moving from what some would say was the sublime to the ridiculous. Uh certainly a brand that divides opinion quite starkly and quite aggressively and there were one or two quite nasty things said one in particular at dubai watch week about the next brand and the brand owner we're going to speak to and that is from jacob and co so tell us your what's your overall thoughts about what jacob and co do that's a that's an interesting question. Jacob has been a modern success story in the watch industry. His tale is very interesting. He is a colorful character who I've 
had the pleasure to get to know over the years and seen him in, in, in multiple lights and things like that. I think that he has a big reputation that precedes him that does not necessarily reflect who he is. I, for a while, wasn't sure who he is. Like I said, he is not without his errors, but he has created one of the most impressive, dazzling brands. And when I say that, I mean that's literally meant to dazzle people uh, that exists. And he is very brilliant at what he does. I think that he is envied by a lot of people. He's not easy to work with. He has a reputation for that. But ultimately, you know, he is one of the talents which helped create the modern watch industry. Here's someone who started in jewelry, someone who was a real sort of hustler in the classic sense, got into a popular watch design by accident. There was this watch called the Five Time Zone Watch that put them on the map. I hated this watch. (laughs) I didn't think it was very attractive. And I don't think Jacob did either. I think the story was that his his wife designed it and he was like, all right, we don't have any better ideas. And it did very, very well. I was not personally a visual fan of it. And that was, you know, the first I had experienced it. But it sold very, very well. And it allowed them to do crazy things, one of which was create a watch called the Quinton, which was, um, I don't remember the power reserve. I think it was a month or something like that. But it was the longest power reserve watch, wristwatch ever made at the time. Nice. Uh, only Hublot later exceeded that but it was it was a it was like a month-long thing it had like seven barrels stacked in the side and it was not blink watch making i mean i don't think if it had any diamonds in it that's how weird it was it was the jacob watch with no diamonds shocked and he is he's made up for that okay he has made up for that with so many watch with diamonds including the 18 million dollar retail price billionaire mm-hmm. watch which i think mayweather <laughs> floyd mayweather yeah. <laughs> has one of those and I, I i wrote about the most recent one a picture i took of jacob at dubai watch week for my instagram account apparently went viral it was promoted internally within instagram and a lot of people uh-huh. saw it and it was because he was he's such a he's such a character i mean people know his name i remember i was getting a haircut one time and i overheard people speaking about jacob the jeweler All right, okay i was like wow this is this is kind of impressive. Like, I, I never thought his name would be out there, but he is, he's been sung about in a lot of songs and things like that. So he's a special character. I have a lot of respect for him. And one of the things, and I'll finally say this, one of his special skills is he knows how to wow the unwowable. Uh-huh. The people who have seen the most crazy stuff that you cannot wow, Jacob is a master at showing them things that make them impressed all over again. And that's hard to do. Well, here we go. Let's hear from Jacob and Cole. Back at day three of Dubai Watch Week 2021 with Mr. Jacob Arabo, founder of Jacob & Company Watches. Jacob, how are you doing? Amazing. I love to see you at watch events because with you come some of the most amazing and outstanding, spectacular watch creations ever. Talk about some of the new watches that you're presenting here at Dubai Watch Week 2021. Well, the latest watch we d- uh, display today is uh, Diamond Godfather with me repeater. Uh, we also have Chiron Bugatti, uh, the never been seen before, piece unique, bl- uh, green sapphire crystal, which is uh, amazing. Um, then I have this dragon, this green dragon on my wrist. It's hand painted, handcrafted inside Astronomia. 
it's all three-dimensional um, as you can see full dragon inside astronomical watch fantastic and on, the, and on the other wrist and this is very new also this is Ashoka Cut uh, Ashoka Cut Billionaire that's wonderful. 140 carats in diamonds. Now, we're here in Dubai, which I imagine is probably a particularly good market for you. But in your words, how important is Dubai in the Gulf region for the Jacob & Company brand? It's becoming very, very, and already is very important. The reason why is because it became an international city. Everyone, a lot of people come here for vacation, for business, for holiday. They're comfortable shopping here. They're comfortable being here. It's beautiful weather. Uh, great shopping, Dubai Mall, Fashion Avenue, that's where our boutique is, and many other brands are there as well. So it's important because here you get all the people uh, from all over the Middle East, from uh, Europe, Russia, uh, stunt countries, and even Americans and, and Asians, yeah, it's everyone, India, every, a lot of people here, and so you meet so many different people. So it became center of the world, really. Your business is very much a relationship business. And over the last two years, without the ability to travel as much, it must have been very difficult to, to keep up a lot of what you do. What was your personal strategy to maintain those personal relations over the COVID pandemic? Well, first six months was difficult uh, last year. Uh, but we made a lot of sales over the phone just by showing renderings uh, by, uh, by, by messages, just sending pictures to people. Sorry. Just sending pictures to people and people just, just wire the money and uh, pay for the watches and wait six, seven, eight months to receive the watch. So we were very busy last year. What do you attribute to the fact that even over the pandemic when there was a lot of uncertainty out there, so many people were so excited about watches. Why do you think that was? A lot of people were just sitting home, couldn't, couldn't travel, they're looking at the internet and bored basically, and uh, they kept themselves busy shopping. And they had more time to acknowledge and to research and saw the beautiful uh, designs that I produce. And that actually helped my business. You've been here for a few days already, Dubai Watch Week 2021, and in addition to educating everyone about your latest products, you're also observing and you're learning and you're trying to understand what are in people's minds. What have you, what have you come to learn from your time at Dubai Watch Week so far? Well, uh, yes, I am here a few days and I met so many different people from all over the world, actually, from all, from all over the world. And they're admiring some people uh, even the ones that can't afford maybe to buy the most expensive uh, uh, watches that we have, they're buying something that's uh, affordable, but they love to get something from us. So they're admiring, they're giving compliments, they're taking pictures with me, they're taking pictures of watches. It's a lot going on. It's just amazing. It's, uh, people are happy. They're happy in their life. Uh, they're happy to spend the money because uh, the time has changed for better, and they want to enjoy it. They want to enjoy uh, everything they see. Jacob from Jacob & Company, thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you for being here. Okay, so he definitely gets the prize for the best interruption. 
with the Godfather theme tune on his mobile phone. What I want to know is... He has a watch that makes that noise yeah, as well. What I wanted to know was, was that his standard ringtone? So all phone calls? Or was that a specific ringtone for a specific client that he's got registered as the Godfather? So there we go. He even surprised. I'm not sure, but his relationship with that goes back a uh-huh. while. You know, he has a watch that has like a little music box in yep. it. It can play multiple songs, but it plays this officially licensed you oh, know, okay. for the movie and stuff like that. <laughs> it's it's good stuff. I mean, so again, these are characters, yeah. and when you when you meet with Jacob to do business with him do you want him just to be an average ordinary guy no you want him to just be this larger than life character that does larger than life things and that is what a lot of people have to remember about these executives and watchmakers and designers and things like that who are they selling to their customers are people that expect them to be you know incredibly special and they all have their own you know sometimes funny way of going about doing that no it was a great interview i really enjoyed it and I have a newfound respect for some of the stuff that Jacob and Co. produce. I don't know whether you just get, a bit like what you are saying at the intro, I don't know whether you just get a bit kind of fed up of the same old, same old stuff that actually, if you want something just to blow your socks off, you just go and look at what he's doing and it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whether you like it, whether you'd buy it, whether you could afford it, you can't deny that it's not impressive or different or at least going to surprise you when you think that you've been there and seen everything and done everything i mean his bugatti chiron watch the one that i wore i don't think we published an article about it yet okay so you have this watch movement that's designed to look like a bugatti engine that i you just have to see the in the entire case is made out of green colored sapphire crystal yeah. so I, I don't even know how to describe it it's it's like you wear it, and if someone doesn't say what the hell is on your wrist, you're blind. <laughs> uh dear. What's the production process for a Jacob & Co? I mean, he's presumably, a lot of this is not being done. He's not got a factory that's entirely vertically integrated. He's presumably partnered up with a number of other... No, he has his own facility. That's what he did correct. He has his own facility. It's a nice little place. I've been there in Geneva. And that's their sort of headquarters. And what they do there is, and this is like other brands, is they will they will centralize assembly, quality Uh control, things like that. They use a lot of external suppliers for parts and things like that. But they'll they have you know they have a watchmaker that puts it all together, and they have to do the final checks. They have to have the watchmaker to make sure that it works. So they're sort of you know the, the the centralized place where all the parts come and then they build it and then they check it and then they send it out to, to, to customers and that's how that's how the effective independent watchmakers work you can't just rely on third-party partners for that it maybe reflects a little bit on what we heard in a previous show from Ublo, which is about them getting a bit fed up of not being viewed as being horologically competent that they're just seen as being on the wrists of whomever and it's all blingy and it's all just colours and all the rest of it. Do you think that Jacob and Co are maybe in the same sort of boat of, wait a minute, yes, it does have all of these diamonds on it. It does play the theme tune from The Godfather, but actually horologically, this is quite an impressive watch. It's very easy to make an Hublot, a Jacob and Company a target. They're seen as rich companies that sell lavishly priced luxury goods 
to people that don't need them and can afford to spend money on all kinds of stuff. And so they're seen as e easy targets. Yes, they're human beings at the end of the day, but this this sort of view of them as being ripe for uh, abuse means that a lot of people say negative things about them. The more conservative a company is, the less people say things about them, the more wild and exotic and, and sort of uh, fresh uh, a company might be, the more they're going to invite a lot of commentary that may not be very flattering. And Jacob and company and Umblo are both companies that have done a lot of innovative things and that have, you know, paid paid dearly in the commerce department. That doesn't mean they're bad products. That doesn't mean they don't make they don't make people they don't make people happy. But what it does mean is they've been very polarizing, and and people uh, on the internet are quite vocal about that. And it's true that people tend to more frequently write. I don't like that versus I really do like that. That's just human nature. So I, I think that it's it's normal for the people at the brands to feel self-conscious about it. I just think that they're overhearing conversations that should never, been, never should have been made public to begin with. Fair enough. So from Jacob and Co, we're going to move on to Louis Monet. Who are we going to speak to from Louis Monet? This is quite an interesting interview quite enjoyed listening to this. So this is this is Jean-Marie Schaller and he's the proprietor of, of Louis Monet. He's the person that has has, you know, done a very interesting thing. Now Louis Monet was a real historic watchmaker who whose name was resurrected for a, a modern watch brand that kind of pivoted a few times after it got started in I think the early 2000s. And then Jean-Marie sort of found his 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 cadence, what he wanted to do, the types of watches he wanted to make. And it's sort of a historic brand in the sense that the original Louis Monet did some cool stuff. Um, he apparently was like the actual inventor of the chronograph. This is kind of a cool story. And, and they, they own this original device that was made, I forget the year, but it's a late 18th century, I believe. And it's, it's, it's a chronograph and it's predates what was thought to be the first one, which was created by a guy named Riosec that Mont Blanc has made some watches uh, for. So, you know, it, it's it's an interesting brand, some cool cachet. Watches are not for everyone, but sort of in the same vein as a Jacob and Company, not as many precious stones, of course. Watches meant to impress, a lot of art, big focus on space, and, you know, uh, there's a big focus on, more recently, like, there's a there's a a watch with Star Wars ships yes. in it. Uh, they don't call it that, but uh, you know, <laughs> there's a Star Wars uh, Turbion watches out there now, more than one, <laughs> and and that's been an interesting direction for them. So I've known the brand for a while. I'm I'm a fan of what they do. Can't afford a lot of their stuff, but it's it's cool. It's fun, and it's again easy to sort of like maybe make fun of some of it until you put it on your wrist and you're like oh this is pretty yeah. neat so let's hear from Jean-Marie from Louis Monet I'm here at Dubai Watch Week 2021 with Jean-Marie Schaller of Louis Monet Watches Jean-Marie hello hello Ariel you have a brand which is especially popular in this part of the world because you combine the sort of old world aesthetic with um, a lot of fascinating emotional things uh, such as you know, space and modern design in a way that I think just outstands people and you do such a good job of that. Um, tell me a little bit, how does it feel to finally be back at a watch show um, in 2021? Well, it's a great feeling of course because uh, 
to meet people is the most important thing. It creates the emotion and uh, nobody needs time. You know, you, you purchase a watch if you, if it's a good emotion that you share with the people who have manufactured this watch. So to have such platforms, I believe is the most important thing. What for you is unique or distinctive about the watch collectors here in Dubai and this region? I think in Dubai and in the Middle East, uh, they are very open-minded. They can look at a creation and really admire what they see without having uh, a culture that is preventing them from appreciating. No, a, a priori, we say in French, you know? Yes, they don't uh, have a predisposed notion to like or dislike something. Yes, thank you. That's the word I was looking for. A priori is a legal term that I remember from law school, but you're right, most people <laughs> don't remember that. Um, so this open-mindedness is, of course, so important when you want to impress people, right? You need them to, to be able to receive something that they've never seen before. What, what inspires you? Because you always have to be original. Where do you, where do you find originality? Ah, that's an important question because I think even though the watch business relies on a technology which is 200, even 300 years old in some cases, we have to innovate every day of our life to surprise people, to share these emotions. And in our case, Louis Moinet, being the inventor of the chronograph in 1816, of course, we have a product line which is called Mechanical Wonders and another one which is called Cosmic Art in which we bring most unique meteorites, should they be from the Moon, from Mars or different places. Uh, so flown materials that we have introduced uh, this year, you know, little fragments from Apollo 11 that went to the Moon and came back, and also special technologies such as the Space Revolution, featuring two spaceships rotating in two different directions, something that had not been made before. Now, let's talk about Dubai Watch Week itself. Why is it important for Louis Mene to participate at this event? It's a com community, you see. And uh, if you don't go to celebrate with your friend and to meet the most important people in the industry, they quickly forget about you. So it is as simple as that. And uh, I would also add that it has a, it is the fifth edition, and I'm amazed how they grew this platform in terms of quality, in terms of number of participants. And you can see from the visitors that they really enjoy coming here. The show has a large number of clients and colleagues, and of course just collectors and things like that. What types of information do you want to learn from a show like this that helps you when you go back to Switzerland and making business or product decisions? What, what type of information do you personally like to gather at events like this? Honestly, I don't look too much at what uh, our friends and competitors do. I'm much more into uh, deep talks with collectors and watch lovers. And uh, it happened to us, but also to many other brands. They come with an idea that you haven't thought of, and it's a brilliant idea. And all of a sudden, you have a different world that is opening. This is the magic of this uh, business, actually is to be able to create from a blank sheet of paper a product that materializes in, in a spectacular watch one or two years after. And so oftentimes what you're saying is the client themselves is the source of the inspiration. Yes, in uh, many different cases I would say so. 
And now we're at the beginning of Dubai Watch Week 2021. It's been a very interesting last two years. What do you feel is the emotion or the vibe that you're receiving from people as you're, as you're talking to them? Because of this openness of mind they have, it's just great. Because they look with, it's like a small child, you see? He doesn't think of all oh, this brand, uh, it has this story, and because of this story, it is not able to make such a product. And this openness reflects in their behaviors, and they are ready to go for the new horology. And to me, this is very important, because as I said, we have to reinvent ourselves every day. And thanks to micro technology, laser technology, and all the spectacular high tech uh, that are being used to make watches these days, it is possible, but we just have to, to do it and not to repeat the past with vintage ed editions or something like that. And the people here, they are ready for that and this is what they want. They want the new Lamborghini. They want the newest creation. Jean-Marie Schaller of Luminae, thank you so much. Thank you, Ariel. Okay, one of the big takeaways from that interview was his whole criticism, it wasn't quite a criticism, but he's whole kind of, maybe just a little bit of a dig at all the brands that just seem to revisit the vintage drawer whenever they want to do something which they call new, as opposed to how he views it, which is people don't want the old Lamborghini, they want the new Lamborghini. So let's give them that in their watches as opposed to just go back to our catalogue and reinventing something, which is clearly a dig at a number of the much larger brands that perhaps weren't present at Dubai Watch Week, uh, who do seem to dip into the vintage drawer maybe a tad too often. It's easy to dig into any of these brands. And, you know, nothing they say is without some hypocrisy. You know, somebody might say, oh, how dare you for making vintage watches? You're like, well, you found a vintage name for your watch brand. Why did you invent a brand new one? True. You know what yes. I mean? Like, why do you care about the past at all? Like, you, no one's going to win any of these arguments. What you do have is opinionated people, and he's one of them, saying, this is the watch that I want. Uh -huh. I'm trying to create the things that I want. If you like my taste, you agree with me, you'll like my watches. So if you feel that these other brands are doing too much vintage re-releases, whatever, and you agree that that's not interesting, come over here, because I might have something cool for you. I think that's a better way of interpreting now, it. Now, he spoke about how a lot of what he was spending his time doing at Dubai Watch Street was talking to the collectors rather than looking at what his competitors were doing. So my question first of all is, well, how many watches do you think Louis Mini actually produce each year? Do we know? I don't know. I mean, we're talking hundreds, maybe the thousands. Yeah. This is not a large production brand. Very, very small production levels, mostly limited editions, a lot of unique models. Uh, again, it's, it's, it's definitely a, a more obscure brand in production. So to what extent are they being driven in what they produce by speaking to two or three people who say, yeah, I'd really like this with the Star Wars stuff in it. And so they make one for them, but make another three or four and the hope that they can sell them to somebody else. To what extent are they just purely responsive because of the number of watches they make and uh, the, the, the scale of their production and the, the scale of the company maybe not being able to have an enormous marketing budget to go out and, and, and make a market 
uh, for a new watch that actually they just need to be very careful and really get a feel for what's going on with their potential clients because presumably you know if you buy a louis monet there's got to be a reasonable chance you probably buy two louis monets if you're in that market it's probably you know you're probably trying to collect them all look you're making um a lot of very interesting observations i think about uh, about the entire process here I, i think that there's no specific thing they're trying to learn from the audience or the collectors rather than they're trying to be inspired these are creative professionals people like jean marie they're they're having to ask themselves how can i impress these people next what are they talking about what's on their minds it's not like you sir tell me what i can make you that you will buy you know it goes back to this whole funny thing about you know Henry Ford said, you know, if you ask the consumer what they want, they'll say a faster horse. You can't rely on the consumer to tell you what will wow them next. You know, Jacob can't sit there and poll a bunch of people and be like, um, what's the craziest thing you've never seen before? You know, he has to go out there and imagine it or look through ideas and be like, oh, there's nothing nothing like this in the watch industry. I got to work on this next. And so that's a, that's not an easy thing to do. And so in his own way, uh, Jean-Marie at Louis Monet has to do the same thing. And so for him, being able to feel the vibe and the emotion of the people that walk by his cases and look at his watches. He's like, if you came over here for a reason, let me learn a little bit about you. This is such valuable information for these proprietors because it really helps them figure out what to do. If they make such small watches per year and they put years of effort into some of them, that's a lot of you know investment. They can't mess up. So they really want to make sure that there's at least enough interest in the concept before they you know fully invest their, their efforts into it. Cool. Well, another brand that I'd probably Probably, rightly or wrongly, sit alongside Louis Monet would be Beauvais. I don't know to what extent that would be a correct. Very, very, very different brand. Very different brand. But I see what you're saying. How how would you say that they are different? Well, they're the same in that it's sort of a classic name, you know, revived. Both of them are run by very charismatic, opinionated gentlemen. I would say Beauvais is a little bit more involved. They have a manufacturer. They produce a lot of their stuff. Design-wise, very different. So, you know, I, I there is some price overlap for sure, but, you know, Beauvais is probably going to have the more complicated high-end watches. Again, it's you shouldn't try to compare them because what you're you're basically saying is like, you know, which one of these people do you like better? It's a matter of taste at the end of the day. But you definitely have, like I said, a connection to a historic watchmaker on, on both ends there. So they're making new stuff. They're also lightly inspired by the past, really, really lightly. Both of them like watches as toys. Yes. You know, for them, it's fun to make these things and they enjoy them. They're, they're serious people. I mean, Mr. Raffi, who, who owns Beauvais, I mean, wonderful gentleman. Love my conversations with him. But I've never met anyone like him in the world. Never. I, I probably never will. You know, I love that his originality means that the watches he's passionate about making don't look like anything else out there. And it's the same thing, just in a different aesthetic way with uh, with, with Jean-Marie Schaller at, at, at Louis Monet. Different people, different backgrounds, different ideas, different tastes. But you can celebrate both of those products equally because of how different they are. And you, you, you can like both brands. You like one or the other. But these are the these are the personalities that make up this watch industry. And to me, 
the things they say are, are, are really just as important as the things that they do. So let's hear from Pascal Raffi from Bovee. Hey everyone, Ariel Adams here at Dubai Watch Week 2021. I'm with Mr. Pascal Rafi, who runs a wonderful watch brand called Beauvais. Uh, Pascal, thank you so much for talking to me. What is your mission here at Dubai Watch Week 2021? Dear Ariel, the mission is again and again, being a house of nearly 200 years, to bring our mastery in watchmaking. You know that we have a very limited production it's based on a true facility where we do our cases, dyes, hands, movements, and hair springs. Our artisans are present, by the way, this week. Our engravers, our miniature painters, and also the house of Pilin Farina with its chief of design, uh, Fabio Calorio, who is going to be here to present our new Batista beautiful timepiece. So we are here to present the house. You have two interesting watches here related to automotive relationships. The one you just mentioned with Pin and Farina design, as well as a watch with Rolls Royce. Tell me about your attraction to combining the watch world and the automotive world. I think, Ariel, it's only a difference about sizes, but it's about engineering brilliance. It's the way you are going to master mechanics and the way you're going to dress the cars as the timepieces. If you take the bow tail timepieces, it's a pure revolution in automotive history. For the first time, a true tourbillon with five days power reserve and a true convertible system has been put in the dashboard of the car with all the homologations, Ariel, of humidity, magnetism, uh, crash tests. It's a major achievement in this industry. And on top of that, you have also the art of Beauvais through miniature paintings, aventuring dials with the chart of the planets of the uh, owner and engravings all through the timepiece. And what was that like to work with the car company Rolls-Royce on incorporating a mechanical watch into a car? From an engineering standpoint, what was that, how is that similar to watchmaking and also very different? It starts always with a word, it's going to be impossible or very hard, but <laughs> thanks to two magnificent teams, we have worked closely with Rolls-Royce team, with BMW engineers, Rolls-Royce engineers, the most important is the mutual understanding of what true luxury is. Take your time, tune the things, do beautiful. Quantity is not the essence, it's all about quality and uniqueness. A bright collaboration, serene, between true gentlemen and true ladies. This is the reality. Since the beginning of the pandemic, have you had, have you had other opportunities than now to meet with industry colleagues? Or is right now the first real time you're, you're collecting with everyone again? Yes, absolutely. And it's such a fantastic experience. When I was coming this morning, I landed uh, very late yesterday night. It's a true pleasure to meet some of your colleagues who share the same values, who are defending true watchmaking, detail with good taste. Yes, because it was so long, we now have the opportunity to do so. So this is why you see these smiles on all the faces. It's important to meet. People do seem very, very excited. And in your opinion, what's the vibe right now at the outset of Dubai Watch Week 2021? I have to tell you, for me, it is a place where it is honor paid to watchmaking. When you have the honor and the pride, this is what I feel since day one, 2007, when Mr. Abdul Majid Siddiqui welcomed the house of Bove in his house. I'm talking about two houses with same spirit to defend beauty with people who know how to behave. So for me, it's an honor for my family and for my team also. Speaking of family, Beauvais has very much been a family-driven company. You've named watches after your son and now your daughter is running the brand in the United States. How is she doing? Thanks to a dream team. I call them the three ladies a dream team. Heather Lynn, 
Mera Susa, Audrey Rafi. They are like three sisters. They divided the duty and they're transmitting and broadcasting a family spirit for beauty and for true, authentic watchmaking synced into integrity. So I can tell you, it's a dream team. Mr. Rafi, thank you so much. So I didn't realise that they were a family firm. I didn't realise there was this generation coming through next take over from him. How, I don't even know how old uh, Pascal Raffi looks. Does he look like he's going to be stepping away soon? Or is he going to be in there with the bricks? No, I don't think that there's any danger of him leaving. And it actually hasn't been until recently that his children were even old enough. I think that anyone who builds a company like that wants to offer their children some opportunities. His daughter, Audrey, is now basically running Beauvais in the United States. He has a younger son who I don't think is old enough to work yet. I'm not always sure all the family details. But, you know, uh, maybe they'll work in the industry for a little bit and leave. You know, it's, it's, I think what's important is that running a brand like this across various countries involves a lot of trust. There's these high value items. You have to have people making decisions as you would make them. Sometimes it's literally easier to trust a family member than have to establish a close relationship with a manager in a foreign country. And a lot of brands have had issues. I'm not saying that per se Beauvais has, but I can understand the inclination to want to hire someone very close that you trust for an important, you know, job like, you know, running a brand in a different country. And, you know, you know, looking at Hublot, for example, you know, Jean-Claude Biver's son ran Hublot China. I think he might still run Hublot China. So this is normal in business. You want to place a trusted person in a position of high responsibility, which oftentimes is a family member if you can do it. So we look forward to Adams Jr. taking taking the reins sometime in the early 2030s. <laughs> Oh my, oh boy, oh boy. We'll see, we'll see. So clearly they're quite into their, and I haven't really appreciated this, that they're quite into their car collaborations. They've obviously got something going on with Rolls-Royce and putting turbions and crash crash testing uh, watches and clocks and cars. I I hadn't appreciated this relationship they had with the automobile, if you can call a Rolls-Royce an automobile rather than its own piece of art well this goes back years and mr raffi himself is a car enthusiast as are many people in this space they've had a long standing relationship with pin and farina yes and so this is the design firm that you know designs ferraris and pin and farina has designed a large number of of watches for Beauvais. so those those are really cool and those are elaborate and lavish and there was a new one that was debuted a little bit before dubai watch week they got to check out as well as the rolls royce one that you mentioned which is a convertible watch and this is a specialty at beauvais not all their watches but they have a certain watch which has a case which converts from a wristwatch to a pendant where it it sort of connects to a chain that you can wear around your neck or carry as a pocket watch with a different kind of chain or it can turn into like a little table clock with a stand and now it can also be placed inside of a compartment in a Rolls Royce so they made a watch that goes with it so this is not the first time but it's the first time I think there's been this like removable one that you can put into the dashboard then take off and put on your wrist cool concept and they took it pretty seriously and again that's a watch that will have some more coverage on on a block to watch. Sounds slightly more luxurious than me pulling the VW badge off of a car and wearing it around my neck 
circa 1985 <laughs> or whatever that was. Anyway, yeah, so I hadn't appreciated the car relationship there. Someone who buys a Bove and a Rolls Royce, what do you think they buy first? Do you think they buy the Bove and then get the car to go with it, or do they buy the Rolls Royce and then buy the watch to go with it? Well, if measured by popularity, probably the Rolls Royce. People who buy luxury goods start with the most popular names, and Rolls Royce is a term known around the world. And luxury cars are just by nature more, you know, tend to be more known than than luxury watches. And so, you know, he or she probably got into cars first, and then only later, you know, things like watches, if or, you know, not niche watches like you know, Beauvais. I guess the other way around is possible, but they definitely heard about Rolls-Royce first. Good, good. Now, we're going to hear from a gentleman who I'm going to make you introduce because I've already butchered his name in uh, pre-conversation and his company. But this is uh, a chap who does work with Louis Erard and Raquetta. So, Ariel, introduce our next interview. So this is Mr. Manuel Emch, and he began his career in the watch industry in earnest being the CEO of Jacques Adro, that was a newly revived brand uh, around the year 2000. Then much of his career that I knew him, he ran Romain Jerome, and now he is sort of an independent consultant, and he makes a lot of important decisions at a brand called Louis Arard and a Russian brand called Raketa. So here's our interview. I'm here at Dubai Watch Week 2021 with Mr. Manuel M. Manuel, hello. Hello. We have gone on many different adventures together, and I'm so, running into you here. And this is what I love about these shows, Dubai Watch Week, is that you don't know who you're going to meet, and you have a quick catch-up, and someone's involved in some cool project. And you are always involved in some cool projects. For the people who don't know who you are, talk a little bit about what you're doing right now. Uh, well, right now, I, I built my own consulting company called Le Bureau. Uh, a one-man show was basically me. And I'm consulting for different companies, um, mostly strategy, turnaround, uh, marketing and product, which I think is where I'm the strongest at. And this goes from um, you know, consulting to board member, sounding board. I work for about in eight companies, uh, so quite a lot. Some of them I'm, I'm in the eight, so I'm not going to talk about, but it goes from, let's say, the $1,000 Russian uh, manufactured brand to the you know, close to a million independent watch company. Um, but my two main assignments, what everybody, I would say, see, sees me behind is on one side, Raketa, uh, the Russian uh, manufactured watches, which I think is the most incredible uh, jewel in the watch industry that's yet to be polished. And uh, the other one is Louis Era, which is a uh, mid-price segment watch brand that has been quite hype in the last uh, few, uh, two years since I joined with lots of collaboration that people go crazier about, so yeah. So you found two brands that, I'll just, you know, go straight to the point, have opportunity. Yeah. What is it that you like about brands that have an ability to grow, as you say, as a little bit of an, an unpolished gem? What attracts to you to brands like that? Look, I, I'm, a pa I'm passionate about uh, watchmaking, and whenever I see there's a potential or something interested, that interests me. Some people say, one of my good friends, which I won't name, say, you're the guy who takes the most risk in this industry. You always go to the brands nobody wants to go, and everybody believes there's nothing to do. And I always say, no, I don't think so. I, mean, we always, I had lunch with Max uh, Busser the other day, and he said, why are you always taking this like incredible risk and trying to build things on watch brands nobody talks about and nobody knows? And I said, 
do I really do that? I really started to wonder what, what he was talking about because I don't see it the same way. But look, I think I'm, I just have vision or interest for things. And when I see something that has a potential, maybe that's my strength is to see potential within all sorts of uh, brands with all sorts of uh, layouts. And sometimes there are brands which have much more depth, much more potential. And that is where you have much more freedom. So it's, it's, it's this balance between, I would say, um, capacity to build and develop and the other side capacity to enjoy have fun and create incredible stuff I think you want to be creative I think these little opportunities these smaller brands give you the the ability to make products that you want to do the things True. you want and and you've always been someone like in the back in the, in the past we've worked together at Jackie Drill and of course at Romain Jerome always these opportunities for you to create art um, you've always been an art collector and someone who's interested in art and and here you know, after the pandemic or the post-pandemic, what is some of the art that is, is appealing you now in the, in the world of different emotions than it was two years ago? Uh, well, I've always been interested in, in, in all sorts of forms of art. I mean, obviously, mostly contemporary art. That's my real passion. That's where I started. Um, well, today it's very figurative. It's very ceramic. It's all about diversity. It's, uh, it, it, it has, you see trends in, 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 in um, arts as you see trends in watchmaking. I would say I have a more passion for minimalistic, uh, let's say, uh, not not figurative but abstract uh, art, which today is not is not what is really hype. But I don't care about that too much because it's something I appreciate and passion. I'm not buy art for investment. I buy art for pleasure. Uh, so I, I continue to. And on the other side, I'm more and more interested in furniture, furniture design, especially. Furniture is awesome. Furniture is awesome. Furniture of the 50s, 60s. I'm obsessed with chairs. Chairs, me too. I yeah. mean, the, the problem is of, of chairs that, I mean, the, you know, in, in, in the, let's say, in the, in, the, in the category of collectible without having to have storage, watches is probably the easiest. Then paintings starts to be, then maybe sculptures, depending on how they are. But if you come to furniture... It gets hard with cars, and then at the point you're at boats yeah, or then, planes, yeah. the whole other world Well, happens. I haven't managed it to the, to, to, <laughs> to, to, the planes and yachts, and cars, I'm not that much Watches interested. Watches is kind of the most compact, high-end art you can collect, right? Well, it's the most transportable art, also. There's that, there's that. Exactly. Last question, Manuel. What are your goals for Dubai Watch Week 2021? Well, I think uh, the, 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 the major goal is to be present in this environment, meet and greet people, you know, uh, bump into old friends, which were unexpected. At the same time is to promote the brands for which I work, obviously. And, and also get a lot of customer feedback because it's a B2C uh, fair. I mean, it's uh, basically you have a lot of collectors and they give you very valuable feedback. Uh, you know, they, you see their reactions, you see their comments. And that for me is very inspiring in creating or developing new products. Thank you. Thank you. So he's basically a hired gun for, okay, not just the Swiss watch industry as he's working for the Russians. Are there lots of these people around? Like when you retire, in some of the industries I work in, what happens is when you retire, you basically go back to the same company, but as a consultant being paid twice as much money and working half as hard. Is that kind of what happens in the Swiss watch world? You get to the stage whereby you can leave a business and you can just kind of consult around the place, earning the big bucks 
for not doing quite as much work as you were or is he a one-off because of his experience elsewhere? That's a good question and it's very true that titles can be very deceiving in the watch industry. You ask someone what they do and you really can't tell. Even if they have a generic title like CEO, you're really not sure what someone's job is unless you sort of follow them around. I would say that what you described does not characterize what he's doing. It's a little bit different. For him, he wants to be in the creative seat without having to deal with the financial people. Right. And so this is sort of a technique he has formed for being able to do what he likes and less of what he doesn't like. And from a creative perspective, he he definitely has a lot of wonderful ideas, was definitely a little bit ahead of his time in, in certain areas. But at the end of the day, you know, he still needs to have a team around him to do things at, at Romain Jerome. He had a lot of frustrations around sides of running the brand that he didn't like. So he he's in a position right now that he likes. He gets to work with multiple brands, but he very much is deeply ingrained in there. He's not sort of like a consultant on call. He is running a lot of the important decision-making. I've certainly heard of design consultants and movement consultants and supply chain consultants who rummage around the Swiss watch industry. Is he just one of many go-to people that if you're a brand that's got a problem or got a bit of a skills gap or a knowledge gap you need to fill that you can go to him and ask him and bring him on in that regard? To a degree, it's true that there are other professionals out there that do similar types of you know, external work that maybe um, a leader or an internal person might otherwise do and and that they're sort of, you know, jump around from project to project. This definitely exists, but they all have their own unique pluses and minuses and skills and things like that. I think where someone like Mr. Emp has a lot going for him is in his ability to have a creative vision, understands follow through and execution, has, you know, a decent enough business mind around him to be able to like not make accidental uh, expensive decisions and things like that. Like he's someone who you definitely want making those those types of creative decisions. Of course, he has his own aesthetic and his own his own ideas, but he could not easily be replicated. You couldn't just get rid of him and then have someone come in and replace what he's uh-huh. doing. So I'd say that there are a number of highly specialized creative or technical people rummaging around the space, but they're all very much offering a, a personal service, if you will. Let's uh, talk about the elephant in the room, which is your obsession with chairs. There are no there are no chairs for elephants that I've seen. Oh, no, no, you used to get those ones in the circus whereby they'd have to go and stand in the middle before they decided that that was incredibly cruel. It's more of a stool. stool. It's more of a stool, if you so will. So you're very you much know? a chair collector and not a stool collector. You, you've drawn the line. It's like the difference between a digital watch <laughs> yes. and, a, and a mechanical watch. We're all about the chairs, but yeah. don't bring me any of your stool nonsense. If my, if my rear is meant to go there... I'm into it. If I have to stand on it, I'm less excited. <laughs> so tell me about your chair collection, or was that a kind of throwaway, or do you genuinely have... Okay, you know, you you, you read a book on chairs one time, and all of a sudden you're just... You're <laughs> you mentioned chairs, and then you're being sent articles from the internet, and people are inviting you to auctions yeah. <laughs> and asking you to write specials you know, for I, GQ. I, re- I reviewed... I reviewed chairs for a while. You reviewed chairs? <laughs> it's got four legs and a back. I did. I got terrible food poisoning one time, so I never got a chance to do it. I was supposed to visit the Herman Miller factory, oh, yeah. which is you know out here in, in, in Michigan. Yes. 
regret not being able to do that. Maybe it was the universe telling me something. But I'm I'm into high quality furniture. And when you're like a furniture nerd, and I'm not nearly as deep into that as I am watches, you recognize like different types of furniture like require different types of engineering. Like a table, okay, it's a table, has to be stable. But like a chair, <laughs> oh now you're talking like this is the hardest thing. You know, it's got it's got to be comfortable and the and the shape does something. It's got moving parts. It's like it's like the you know, it's like the turbion. Uh, so, so, so this is like West Side Story, whereby there's the there's the chair people and there's the table people, and they all hate each other. I don't know if this. I mean, <laughs> I, maybe I should do some furniture podcasts and see where all the vitriol is. I hope it's not there. A blog to sit on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyways, yeah. I mean, look, you you have to bring in other hobbies. Uh-huh. We talked about cars, art, you know, food vacationing you know watches exist thoroughly as part of enjoying whether you call it the good life or the pursuit of good things or luxury or whatever but it's for people who have who enjoy appreciating things and i am one of those people and usually it's not a singular area of focus like watches okay so so give us give us the give us the ariel uh, dream dream so you're sitting with your favorite watch on your favorite chair, <laughs> eating your favorite meal. What have you got in the rest? What chair are you sitting on or what are you eating? I mean, look, something like a, an, an Eames lounge uh-huh. chair. I know it's cliche, but it's just so good at what it is. You know, with an ottoman resting your feet up, you can sit like that for hours and be comfortable. I like refreshing, you know, like fresh fruit drinks and things like that. I know my friends love to make fun of me about it, but like, that's good. And whatever the watch is, is whatever's hot hot at the time. I, I would get bored if it was the same watch all the time. Surprise me, you know? Let me open it let me open a package from the mail with a mystery so watch. So actually in all of those things, the thing that is uh, the the more standard is actually the chair then. Like you wouldn't want to that's the chair. Whereas the watch watches come and go and blitzed fruit drinks come and go but the chair remains the same look at the end of the day it's chairs are are more like shoes once you find something comfortable that fits your body you're not like i wonder if i need more lumbar support no it's good it's 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 good for your body maybe not everyone watches is more an, an expressive thing right chair is like your personal throne it can mean a lot to you but it's more like a home item than a let me go out into the world item. And if, if no one should be taking their chair with them anywhere. So chairs. So you don't have a favorite chair then that you fold up and take everywhere with you. <laughs> we, we, that would be we, weird. We've, we've gone somewhat weird. into the weeds on this discussion. Anyway, let's bring it back to <laughs> our, our final interview. And this is from another watch that was launched and actually a brand that was launched at Dubai Watch Week. And I suppose I wanted to finish on this because like some of the other brands who have been very much into talking to the customers, finding out what they needed, this is a watch brand that's looked at the Middle Eastern market and has decided, well, what do they need in the Middle East? Well, most of the Middle East is Islamic. So let's create a watch that's affordable, that's specifically for that market. So Ariel, again, because I'm going to butcher the name, can you introduce our final interview? Yes, thank you. So this was with Mr. Thomas Morph, and his new brand is called Aramides. Still day one of Dubai Watch Week 2021, and I ran into a colleague, Mr. Thomas Morph. Thomas, hello. Hi, Ariel. How so, are you? I'm good. I'm good. Now, you are here 
as the proprietor of a new brand. Yes. And I'm trying to sort of catalog the various types right. of personalities that right. come to, to, to right. buy Watch Week. Um, you know, you are a veteran of the industry, and despite everything which is going on in the world, there's still room for new watch brands, aren't there? Yes, there is. We, for instance, we came here, or I came here, to uh, present my new project, which is called Aramedes. This is a new watch concept that is a mechanical-based movement, but with some high-tech module to do things a mechanical watch can do without having, having any operating system or touchscreen or something. The watch is an analog watch, but in a whole different way. And we have a patent on it. We worked three years on that. That's so why it's three years silence of morph. So it's time to show it to the world here at Dubai Watch Week also, because Sadiq is our first business partner. It's a very interesting time piece, and I'm gonna to try to explain it. We'll of course have coverage on a blog to watch, but the, the initial piece combines a uh, Swiss-made uh, automatic mechanical movement to indicate the time, but then you have these two other indicators on the dial, and this is a Islamic religion watch, and one of these sub-dials, if you activate it, points to the direction of Mecca, and the other one is a reminder of when the next prayer time is. Um, of course, being here in the Middle East is uh, a very opportune venue. Um, tell me a little bit about why you chose to focus on uh, this region of the world to, to begin the brand and, and, and how, why, you know, what, what were you inspired by? Because you could have done many things. You're absolutely right. You know, it started when we, uh, my partner and I, we had lunch, an extensive lunch in Zurich. And we said, there must be more than just the usual things, you know, like everybody does the same thing. And the only differentiator is the brand name and the heritage of the brand. But everybody's, you know, is preaching the same gospel. And this is what we didn't want to do. <clears throat> we wanted to create something new. And we are not contained into the mechanical world only. We wanted to embrace advanced technology, but in a traditional way. So the combination of high mech or mechanical, we even have a tourbillon in combination with that function. And we actually, we have three functions. We have the Mecca indicator as, a, as the simple watch, the Mecca and the prayer times, and the Mecca and the prayer times, and the Ramadan timer that tells you how, when to fast and when to stop fasting. And what's the challenge? The challenge is that sun, sunrise and sunset is changing wherever you are. So, for instance, the Mecca indicator, you have to know where Mecca is, you have to know, know where North Pole is. Now it's the biggest challenge is you're moving all the time. So we need to triangulate your location in order to have to indicate <clears throat> the makeup direction accurately. Also, you have to, with the, with, the, with the prayer times, this is changing wherever you go. You, you land in New York, you land in LA, it communicates with your, through Bluetooth low energy and it adjusts everything automatically. You, want only one, you only set it once through an app, very smart app. We call it the Aramedes uh, uh, Master Timer app. And, and, and it will adjust automatically. And now you're asking, why did we come up with something like this? It's not limited to that only, to that Muslim world or to the Islamic world. But there is 1.8 billion Muslims around the world. And we said 1%, we are a so-called 1% brand. Even if we reach 0.1%, 
it's a huge market and they have a they have a, the, 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 these people have a high affinity towards these luxury goods and we treat it as a luxury good in a way very classy very very stylish timeless because we also treat religions with respect we don't want to have a flashy product that cries out hey look i'm the guy with this watch and blah, blah, blah. we want to have it really subtle and elegant why we also during the journey of the three years development we consulted various people from that religion and they were guidelining or hand I mean, holding you us have to, right? because it's, we, not, I, it's not your lifestyle absolutely not and they you know we presented the first concept to certain people around the world who have islamic background muslim background and they loved the concept they loved it so everything entirely everything has been developed in switzerland it's made the model is made like a high-end audio equipment it's top notch now, when you come to an event like this, what are some of your goals or strategies to communicate this complicated message to a lot of people in a short amount of time? Well, basically, the good thing is it's an easy to understand concept. You, look, I'm not an electrical engineer, nor I'm a mechanical engineer. Nor, I'm not the guy who can explain you every detail. I'm not the one. The concept is clear and is easy to understand. This is a watch and it, it supports you in your daily spiritual life that's the concept there is no there is a usp on it and it's patented so this is easy to understand so my objective being here is talk to the press now we're rolling it out this is the first time ever that we are presenting aramedes to the world sediki is our first partner i showed it to them a year ago the first prototype they said gotta have it very cool, very inspirational. And they know that's something different. They know their market, they know their, their customer base. So they know there is a market potential for it. Everyone here is, of course, a guest of the Siddiqui family who organizes Dubai Watch Week. But there's also been a lot of very authentic words of praise towards the family for their efforts and the energy in, in putting an event like this together. How important to you is Dubai Watch Week? Well, Dubai Watch Week, since we have a function that uh, is, is targeting at the, the Muslim world, GCC is our market to start with. GCC is the, the, region. the region, actually, with Saudi and all these, these Saudi, Bahrain, and so, and so on and so on. It is very important. It's our first partner here. We want to send a message out to the world from here. We're a Zurich-based company. We're entirely Swiss. Um, we want to be present here in this market also to start to have a real good rollout in the market. And the feedbacks we get so far is extremely positive and promising. Thomas, thank you so much. Thank you, Ariel. Thomas has a background in, in technically devising interesting new watch complications. So this is right up his alley. First, it's a hybrid mechanical smartwatch. What does that mean? Well, first, the, the, the center three hands are part of a mechanical watch movement, so it's an automatic watch to power the time. But then it has two analog dials at the three o'clock and nine o'clock indicator. One of them is one hand, one of them has two hands, and these are not connected to a mechanical movement, but these are connected to an electronic module that you know has Bluetooth and connects with your um, phone and stuff like that. And for the purposes of this watch, one hand, the single one, when you 
push a button, it points in the direction of Mecca. So it knows where you are and it points to wherever Mecca would be and you can then face that direction. And then the other hand uh, is two hands and it forms basically the next time. So in 12 hour format, the next time that would be a scheduled moment for prayer. So in Islam, there's several scheduled uh, times throughout the day. And so this watch tells you when you're supposed to do it. it I, th- I believe it vibrates when the time is there. And then it shows you the direction that you should be pointing in. So for the specific purpose of abiding by you know the prayer ritual and doing it the right way, this is a tool. This is a tool watch yep. that does not advertise the fact that it is meant for this, but it, it does this in an interesting way. And he pointed out there's I don't know, 1.6 billion Muslim people, and, and it's, it's an experimentation of, is there a market for this? This is supposed to be a foundation for other things. This The brand doesn't have to be just Islamic prayer mm-hmm. watches, but it's sort of a proof of concept because it's a very good way of showing off what this technology can do. And I think there is a market for it. You know, that's not my background, so I'm not going to be getting one because I wouldn't have much use for it. But I can appreciate that it is a nicely designed, refined product that is well-suited for its purpose. Then do you have much use for a 300-meter diver? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Just living my daily life. Living your daily life on your Ames chair, drinking your fruit shakes. You know what? Once you get a nice uh, blender, you know, you you just, you find things to do with it. (laughs) Good stuff. So... The future of this particular brand then is branching out into other things from what you understand? I don't know the future. And that's what I really love about this stuff. On a routine basis, I meet people who may be serial entrepreneurs or brand new into the watch industry who say, guess what? I've got this great new idea for a brand. I'd like for it to succeed. Will you help tell people about it? And I say, sure, it'd be my pleasure. And I've known Thomas for a number of years, and I know what kind of person he is, and he has a really great character, and we actually have an entire superlative podcast episode where I interview him more about this, so there's a longer discussion there, which is great. But I don't know three or four or five years from that point who's going to remain. I've seen a lot of brands succeed, and a lot of brands have failed, and very rarely was I able to tell in advance. I do know that he is someone who has spent a lot of time in the watch industry, cares deeply about the watch industry, and wants to succeed. And so what you really have in in any area of entrepreneurialism is the need to continue to experiment even after failure. So I don't know necessarily what the outcome will be, but I know that people like Thomas, and specifically Thomas, will continue to keep trying. Because once you do reach success, it's very, very sweet in the space. Yeah, so that is that from Thomas, and that is that from us for this particular show. Ariel, where can everybody find you in this coming week? Please continue to read our content on blog2watch.com. You can follow us on Instagram. And my other podcast is called Superlative. And you can follow me on at RickTickTalk. And my other podcast is at The Wind Up Merchants. So that's it from both of us. Have a great week. Goodbye. Bye, everyone. Bye.